Right, we're continuing our series in Philippians. Today I'm speaking from Philippians chapter 3 and verses 17 to 21. And as you can see, our title we're using for this series is Joy. And as Adam already reminded us, you know, when we come on Sunday, it should be a time of joy and not something to be endured. However, when you come to Philippians chapter 3, it does seem rather more a kind of chapter to be endured rather than one which is full of joy. Uh, but, as I hope to show, you know, even when things sometimes look a bit grim, there is still joy to be had there. It's always difficult for me, I'm not very creative, so trying to find in, uh, something to hang things on, I find a bit more difficult. But I did notice on my uh, Twitter feed, yesterday was the last in the uh, latest series of Doctor Who. So that gives me something topical. So what we're going to look at today is three Whos. So very bad. I did wonder about having an owl and saying, we don't need Twix, we just want the Whos. But uh, I didn't think that would have been any better either. So firstly, as we read through this passage, there's three questions I want us to ask. Who do we imitate? Who is our God and who are we? The main emphasis would be on that middle part. So from Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, the word should appear on the screen as well as I read. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, as I often find when I prepare a sermon, the more you look at the passage, the more you find in it. And sometimes when you look at commentaries, they find even more. Uh, I think uh, last week uh, Luke referred to uh, one by uh, Alec Matea. And he seems, out of these verses, to get two whole chapters of material. Uh, I, I'm only going to touch on e even a few of the things he finds in here. But if you want to look further, that is uh, a book I would recommend on this one. So verse 17 to begin with. Who do we imitate? Paul here says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, as we saw last week in verse 12, Paul knows he's not perfect. He says he is still striving to, he's still pressing on to make all the things which Christ Jesus has done for him actually real in his life. So he knows he's not perfect, but he is telling the Christians there to imitate him, to look at his life, see what they should follow, imitate those who they know, because Paul had been there at the start of the church, who know Paul, who are continuing to live as Paul did. 
to imitate someone properly, you need to know them. And I think in our world of social media, easy access to information, fake news, whatever you want to call it, how do we know what is reliable? And actually, I think this is the first reason I'd give from this passage why we need to be part of a local church. Because if you see something online, you know nothing usually about who's written it. You've got very little idea as to the reliability of the sources. You might check and see any links to people or things you think are reliable. But how do you know? But if you know a person, you can judge their life. For somebody like Sam and myself, this sort of verse is well, not quite petrifying, but is a bit tricky. You know, if, people, if Paul is calling the Christians there to imitate him, are we as elders living lives which you, as members of the church, can imitate? You know, and that is in many ways a scary thought. But you can see Sam and myself. You meet us week by week and during the week. You see what things we do well. You're around when we annoy you. You have, you know, you have a relationship. And I think it is important that in our Christian lives we have people who we have relationships with, we have people who we look to, who we imitate. I think it's important you don't just imitate one person, because that way, as uh, parents know, if uh, your children have a great tendency to pick up your worst points and ignore all of your better points. So we need not to imitate rashly, not imitate in a way which doesn't show discernment. But we need to be looking and saying, you know, what is it I can see in other people in the church who I know that I ought to be imitating? After if they can do it, probably I've got a chance as well. But why does Paul call on them to imitate him? Because in verses 18 to 19 he says this. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. So Paul here is asking them, who is your God? Are they, when you look at people, are they people whose emphasis is on Jesus and his cross? I really loved it uh, this morning in the hymns and songs we sang, how much emphasis there was on Jesus' cross, on his death, on the grace which gives us our forgiveness and gives us our freedom. Because in the last section, which we looked at last week, 
Paul is warning against people who would teach legalism and stressing the grace which we have because of Jesus and the cross. But if we are really convinced that our salvation is nothing to do with us, is to do with Jesus taking the penalty for us on the cross. He, him taking our punishment, him giving us his righteousness. There can be two responses to that. One response is gratitude to Jesus for what he's done, which ties in with our theme of, from this letter of joy. We can be joyful in the fact that though Jesus' death on the cross was dire, it's not something any sensible person really wants to really think about in detail. But it is a cause for joy because it has given us our freedom. Or the other alternative is to say, well, if it's nothing to do with me, Jesus has paid the penalty for my sins, I can do what I like. And so this is the alternative uh, uh, teaching, if like the opposite of legalism, which now Paul is talking about. And I think reading the context of this passage, I think when Paul is talking about people as being enemies, enemies of the cross of Christ, he's talking about people inside the church, not people outside. And it's one of these things, you think, well, how can that be? One thing Paul talks about here is he says that those who are now enemies of Christ have made their God their belly. Now in some of Paul's other letters he talks about various things where, which draw people away from following Christ. Here he doesn't. He doesn't give any examples. He just uses this one term, their God is their belly. And the people Paul's talking about probably wouldn't think of themselves as enemies of Christ. Even outside the church, many of the people who do not follow Jesus would not think of themselves as enemies of Christ. They're probably just indifferent to it. No, can't be bothered. It's just not an issue they think is important. But actually, if we are, think that what Jesus did on the cross is not important, it actually does make us an enemy of Christ. Because as Jesus said, either you're for me or you're against me. And in many ways, that indifference, not really taking what Jesus did on the cross seriously, is our natural state as humans and therefore if we are not making this as Paul said earlier if we're not striving to progress 
to make, get, grab hold of what Christ has grabbed hold of us, our tendency is to drift into indifference. And Paul here, you know, when Paul's talking about this, he talks about it that he's in tears. He's telling them in tears. It's, you know, Paul's not just, it's not sort of a hard person just uh, saying, right, these are the rules, this is what you've got to follow. These are people he knows, these are people he cries over. When he sees the harm which is done, it draws him to tears. You know, there are many benefits of being, having been a Christian for several decades. But they're the tears of those you saw stepping out in following Christ and have, over the years have just become indifferent, not necessarily positively anti-Christian, but it just doesn't really mean anything to them now. It is a danger that we can all fall into and therefore need Paul's warning as he gave to the church here not to fall into this kind of indifference and there's a progression here they start with the God is their belly rather than the truths of the gospel being most important it's own desires, own emotions, feelings start to dominate. And then it goes on to say the next stage is their glory, is their shame. So things which they should be ashamed of, they're no longer. You know, the next step of going down this route is to adjust your way of thinking to suit your own desires and ambitions rather than Christ's. And the thing about something like that, it's very easy to see, oh yes, I can see those people doing that. Where the difficulty comes is seeing when we're doing it. Because if it is our, whatever our desires or ambitions are, which are starting to dominate. We're just thinking the way we think we ought to be thinking. So this is another reason why we need the church. Because we need people alongside us who can challenge us. You know, having, being able, having good relationships with people in the church and getting comfort and support is all very well, but without challenge as well, that is dangerous. So we need to be ready to listen to challenge to ourselves. I think that's, in a sense, is the more important one rather than being willing to challenge other people. Because I know my own reaction is if I get challenged on something, it's become very defensive. Natural human, re human reaction. Usually, any benefit doesn't come immediately, but comes a bit later when I actually think over what somebody said. I think, yeah, actually, they are right, and I need to make a change here. 
So are we here in the church, here willing, because we want God to speak to us and to challenge us to be more like Jesus in our lives? Or are we just here to get our own way of thinking uh, reinforced and validated? And the final end of this is, ends up with mindset on earthly things. So rather than being focused on what, where Jesus wants us to be, on his cross, and as I come on, onto his return, we start getting concerned more about what's in it for me. So this brings me to my final question is, who are we? In verses 20 and 21. And here Paul brings this together, reminding us, if you like, on the positive side of why we need to continue running the race. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. When I started this series and gave a bit of background, I explained that the pe people in Philippi who Paul was writing to were a Roman people in a Roman colony inside Greece. So they were citizens of Rome, even though geographically they were living in what we would call Greece now. So the image here, which Paul's using, when he talks about us as being citizenship is in heaven, he's not thinking of you will get your citizenship in heaven when you die and when you get to heaven. In the same way as the people in Philippi did not get their citizenship of Rome when they actually travelled from Philippi to Rome to get to Rome. They were citizens of Rome in Philippi. And so what Paul is reminding them is that they already are citizens of heaven. But they are awaiting their saviour. What we have now is not what is complete and to come. But we are awaiting our saviour in because it says in the translation we're using ESV, in verse 20, from it we await a saviour. From our citizenship in heaven we await our saviour. So we, again, if that third bit of the benefit of being in a church, we as part of a colony of heaven, not just in a sense of uh, our church in Faversham, or the Christians in Faversham, but all the Christians across the world are a colony of heaven here on earth awaiting the return of our saviour so that our bodies, as it says, will be, our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. So they... Medical defects in our bodies will be transformed 
the problems in our minds, in the way they relate in our bodies, will be transformed. There will be no more depression, no more anxiety attacks. In the same way as there will be no more rejection of organs. Arthritis will go. You add in whatever else, you, whatever you want to see, got rid of. You know, there's so much that we would want to see gone. But yes, that is a, something we have to await for. But it's something we await for together as a church expectant of Jesus' return. As I said, some of this can appear a bit on the glum side. But when I come back to this passage in two weeks' time after we've had our uh, service next week, Paul reminds in chapter 4 and verse 4 to rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Even when we're in a struggle, we can continue rejoicing because we're focused not on ourselves, our bellies, if you like, what's internal. We're focused on Jesus, on what he's done from us, for us in the past on the cross, the fact he's coming to return, to take us into his full, the fullness of his kingdom. So therefore, we can be secure and have joy at all times. Adam, could you... and group come back up so our last sort of we've got what, about 10-15 minutes let's continue to give thanks to Jesus for all he has done for us for all that we know he will do for us and again if you've got anything which God's been giving you which you want to share do have a word with Sam and we'll get that fitted in